It's time for a wellness revolution. Brought to you by Hotsi Health and Wellness Center. Honest discussion on maintaining health and wellness naturally to enjoy a better quality of life. He's the doctor fighting to let you keep your doctor. Now, Dr. Stephen Hotsi. Welcome to Dr. Hotsi's Wellness Revolution. I'm Stacey Banfield here with Dr. Stephen Hotsi, founder of the Hotsi Health and Wellness Center. And we are so excited. Back by popular demand, Dr. Sinatra is on the program today to discuss heart health, specifically inflammation. And this is, whenever Dr. Sinatra comes on, it's just one of the most uh, widely listened to uh, and viewed podcasts. So we are so happy to have him back on the program. Uh, He's absolutely fascinating. So enjoy the show. Dr. Hootsie. Thank you, Stacey. And thank each one of you for joining me today on Wellness Revolution. I do believe that you and everybody needs to have a physician and a staff of professionals who can coach you on a path of health and wellness naturally. So as you mature, you have energy, vitality, and you're enthusiastic about life. I'm so excited today to have a good friend of mine and a wonderful cardiologist, wonderful physician who has influenced the lives of literally hundreds of thousands and millions of people and thousands of practitioners in his, is a, in his approach to treatment of heart disease and other health problems. It's Dr. Stephen Sinatra. Now, Dr. Sinatra practiced medicine in Connecticut for decades, and he was uh, the founder of the New England Heart Center. He has been known as one of the top integrative cardiologists in the country because he combined conventional medical treatment with complementary nutritional and anti-aging and psychological therapies. He was the chief of cardiology, director of medical education, director of uh, echocardiography, of cardiac rehabilitation, and director of the weight reduction program at Manchester Memorial Hospital in Connecticut. He's a fellow of the American uh, College of Cardiology. He's also a member of the American College, uh, College of Nutrition. He's an author, written numerous books. One book I think is a must book for you to read is Reversing Heart Disease Now. He also wrote wrote a book entitled The Great Cholesterol Myth, The Coenzyme Q10 Phenomena, The Sinatra Solution, Metabolic Cardiology, and numerous other books. You can find these on Amazon, and anyone and everyone is well worth reading and will help educate you on how you can keep your cardiovascular system, your heart, healthy, and well, so you can live a full, productive life, so you're full of energy and vitality and enthusiasm, and so you obtain and maintain health and wellness naturally. That's the goal. My experience, and I know Dr. Sinatra would agree with this, my experience is that people who are healthy and well live a whole lot more enjoyable life than people that are sick and tired. Isn't that right, Steve? That's absolutely right. I mean, uh, as physicians, we know it's all about quality of life that makes a difference. Everybody needs the best quality of life going forward. Well, so Dr. Uh, Sinatra, tell us first, you graduated from med school, went on and got a, uh, did a residency in cardiology and, and went to work there in Connecticut. I guess you, you grew up in Connecticut, Connecticut area, did you? Well, I, I actually grew up on Long Island, and I went to medical school in Albany, New York, so I stayed in New York for a while. 
Um, then I did an internship at Albany, and then I did a medical residency in Hartford, Connecticut, and then a cardiovascular fellowship in Hartford, Connecticut. So I stayed in Connecticut for, forever, and, uh, and it's been really good to me. And I live in Florida half time, so I travel back and forth, which is really sweet. Well, tell us, obviously, when any physician goes through medical school here in the United States and through any residency program, He's going to be trained conventionally in the orthodoxy of the day, and you were. And when you came out, uh, you've you've shared with me in the uh, in the past that you at one time were a spokesman for the pharmaceutical companies. You were a spokesman for do- uh, doctors' meetings and dinners where you spoke in behalf of of the uh, statin drugs that uh, lower cholesterol. Tell us about that. How uh, how that happened? How you began to what caused you to be, become a speaker for them? How were you approached by them? Did you approach them? And then why did you quit being a speaker for the pharmaceutical industry? Well, well, that's a good question. Um, when I was um, chief of cardiology, uh, the uh, pharmaceutical people from Merck and Pfizer, they approached me uh, because I was a cardiologist and they and I, w- I was speaking for, um, you know, um, not only uh, other drug companies, but I was speaking independently because I was also director of medical education. So I was the director of medical education at my institution for 19 years, and I sat on a Connecticut State Board of Medical Education. So I was really deeply interested in medical education. So as fate would have it, uh, when the pharmaceutical companies approached me uh, about lecturing on the statin drugs, I, I went forward because I actually believed back then when I was a young cardiologist, that cholesterol was an, uh, an, an integral factor in the genesis of heart disease. Uh, now, at the same time, Steve, I was a big CoQ10 user because uh, uh, I actually rubbed elbows with the person who not only discovered CoQ10, but also with Carl Focus, who worked at Merck Pharmaceuticals. Um, uh, he was the one that devised the formula, and then that was sold to the Japanese. But I actually uh, was working with a lot of CoQ10 pioneers. Now, here's a catch-22. There was an article that came out of India which demonstrated that statin drugs that lower cholesterol also lower CoQ10 in the body because the, the metabolic arm of cholesterol shares the same CoQ10 pathway. Right. Now, as a heart specialist that believes strongly in CoQ10, I had this incredible question mark in my mind. I'm saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute, what are we doing here? We've given statin drugs that lower cholesterol, but they also are CoQ10 killers. And when this article came out of the Indian literature, I had this incredible pause and I decided to think about it. And I said, whoa, wait. And then one of the journals asked me to comment on, um, uh, because I was a reviewer at the same time, I was a reviewer for about a dozen journals. And one of the journals asked me to review this article about statin drugs and cholesterol. And I said, you know what? The article is good, but it wasn't balanced. In other words, it needed the opposing point of view. So ask somebody to uh, you know, write an editorial. And I came back and I said, well, why don't you write it? So then I spent another 100 hours researching you know, the downside of, of statin drugs again. And all of a sudden, Steve, I had this epiphany. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm doing the wrong thing. In other words, I, 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 I literally did my own research. I, I painstakingly wrote articles, and uh, I became sort of the devil's advocate for cholesterol and, 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 and cholesterol-lowering drugs. Now, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. 
does does cholesterol play a does a does it play a role in the genesis of heart disease? It does, but not as much as you know uh, the pharmaceutical companies would like us believe that it does. There is a small particle cholesterol called LP little a that actually statin drugs don't really uh, ameliorate. In other words, they they don't have a, a, a negative impact on it. In, in fact, they can actually raise LP little a. So LP little a is a very, very small cholesterol particle. And I had a strong belief, and, and the literature backs me up, and my clinical experience backs me up, that this particle is, is involved in the genesis of heart disease. Because remember, heart disease is an inflammatory disorder. In other words, whenever you have, whenever you set the stage of inflammation, which sets the stage for what we call endothelial cell dysfunction, whether it's too much sugar in the blood or high LP little a or, or can small particle uh, inflammatory oxidized LDL uh, be, be a factor? Yes, they can. But the drug companies want you to believe it's cholesterol. It's a lot more complicated than that. I mean, high cholesterol is a small part. It's a small part of the genesis of inflammation, especially if it's oxidized. But there's many more other more common aspects that we have to discuss in the genesis of atherosclerosis. Right. Now, when you decided that you were no longer going to be a proponent or a paid pharmaceutical representative, basically a physician representative or endorser of statin drugs, tell me what was the response of one, the pharmaceutical company Pfizer and and uh, what drug was were they pushed? Was that Lipitor back then? Lipitor. Oh yeah. In other words, I um, you know it's kind of interesting. Not only um, was I speaking for the drug companies, but I did a lot of clinical research. Uh, I was involved in a lot of double-blind, placebo-controlled research with some of the pharmaceutical companies on their statin drugs. So um, uh, I was blinded, you know, as an investigator. But basically, um, I had people on placebo in my practice, people on cholesterol-lowering drugs. But, but, but the thing that really gave me the epiphany, Steve, was this. Uh, I was a cardiac cath doctor. In other words, I did thousands of coronary angiograms. Right. Uh, I spent years in a cardiac cath lab. I mean, I, and uh, I, I had this, you know, uh, sense of uh, security thinking, oh, if I did an angiogram on somebody with a low cholesterol, let's say between 150 and 200, I wouldn't find heart disease. And guess what happened? I found multiple people with heart disease, with cholesterols of 160, 170. I said, wait a minute. If cholesterol causes heart disease, why am I seeing people with low cholesterols get heart disease? And then I was doing cardiac counts on people with cholesterols of 200, 250, and even higher. And they were normal. And, I could, and so I had this question because I was literally doing the angiograms. I was lighting up the coronary arteries. Now, I will tell you this. People who have familial hypercholesterolemia, these are people who have genetic variants, right. people with cholesterols of four, five, six, seven hundred. Yes, they get early coronary artery disease. But, but these are people with genetic anomalies. Uh, and, and yes, in other words, those people do respond to aggressive uh, cholesterol lowering. But, and, and a lot of those people had heart attacks in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. So I saw that population. But that population was a very, very small, small. segment of the population. Uh, so, so in other words, you know, do pharmaceutical drugs help people? Yes, some people, but not the 98% that, that you know, the drug companies would like us to, to believe they help. Well, so what did they say? What did your colleagues, when you began to, when you removed yourself from the, your endorsement or 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 your 
complete endorsement of, of the uh, statin drugs across the board, and you tailored it to only a small percent of your population of your patients would you give it to, and you no longer spoke uh, in favorably about the statin drugs. How did your fellow colleagues and the pharmaceutical companies handle that? What was their response? Well, I, you know, my, my colleagues sort of trusted me because of all my credentials and my, all my board certifications and my director of medical education. And, and basically what I was teaching as a, as a, as a medical education director, because I gave a lot of, of uh, conferences at my institution, was that I didn't throw the statin drugs completely under, under the, the bus. I just said, you got to use lower doses and not every day. In other words, uh, for example, if I had a male under the age of 75, and um, and I was considered that to be a young male, by the way. Under the well, age yeah, of I do too now. <laughs> yeah. if, if I had a male under the age of 75 with proven coronary artery disease, you know, by cardiac cath, previous right. myocardial infarction, coronary calcium score, you know, whatever it was, um, would I use a low-dose statin? Yes. I, I, I felt like 5 or 10 milligrams of a low-dose statin uh, you know, four to five times a week, I thought that that would have an advantage. And, and over the, over my clinical history, uh, I was proven right. And uh, in other words, you know, young men on a low dose statin, and I also gave at least a couple hundred milligrams of CoQ10, they did very well. I never gave statins to children like the, like our English colleagues did, you know, across the, the ocean, right? Uh, they were treating kids as, as young as, you know, 10 and 15 years old with, uh, high cholesterols. I never did that. I found that women had more side effects than men. So I stopped treating a women unless, uh, uh, they had rapidly progressive coronary artery disease and I had no place to turn. I, sometimes I gave them low dose statins and I didn't teach, I didn't treat elderly men. Now an elderly male I felt was over the age of 75 because I was always worried about the cerebrovascular impact. In other right. words, you need cholesterol for your memory. You need cholesterol for cerebration, for thinking. And um, I had uh, uh, older men who, you know, had memory disorders and they right. had pre-Alzheimer's on statin drugs. So I immediately got them off. And then I, I uh, joined, uh, Dr. Graveline and I had a, had a discussion when he was alive. I don't know if you know him, but sure, he's a, a cardiologist and also a NASA yes, astronaut. So, yes. And he took uh, statin drugs, drugs and, and, and lost his memory right. completely. And he and I had several discussions over the phone. And, and, and basically, he was anti-statin. Um, uh, but, but again, you know, a good doctor, you know, will take the good, the bad, and the ugly and then form their own, you know, opinions. What makes a really good physician, Steve, and I'm sure you're privy to this, is that you learn from your patients you learn what works, you learn what doesn't work, you realize that one size doesn't fit all. In other words, you know, every, every, every person that you see in your office is different and you have to tailor make the therapy to fit that individual person. So um, I was blessed that early in my career, uh, I realized that uh, statins uh, were, had the good, the bad and the ugly and I was able to choose which populations were served best by them. That's very interesting and a very insightful uh, way to approach your patients and you do very well because most doctors as our listening audience knows they just have you know they got one protocol for everybody boom this is what you're gonna this is what you're gonna take if you got high blood pressure you're on this you're on a beta blocker you're on a ACE inhibitor or you're gonna be on uh, some other drug and if you've got cholesterol slightly elevated or maybe we don't want you to get elevated cholesterol they got. They're going to put them on a statin drug, and they've got a. They've got a protocol, and it's it. It's one size fits all, rather than 
listening to the patient. And when the patient tells you, when I take these statin drugs, doc, I can't remember who I am or who my wife is. I think I'm losing my mind. Instead of saying, I think you may be depressed and putting them on an antidepressant, the first thing you ought to do, take them off the statin drug. See if they get well. If they come back and say, I can think clearly again, you know exactly what was causing the problem. And, and you know as well as I do, doctor, and our, our guests know that all pharmaceutical drugs, all pharmaceutical drugs are toxic. They all have an LD50, that's a lethal dose, at which 50% of the, uh, the individuals who take that dose will die. It's called an LD50, and every pharmaceutical drug has that. Every pharmaceutical drug has to be detoxified by the liver. Detoxified, the root word is toxin. Toxin, by definition, in Webster's Dictionary, means poison. So literally, all drugs can poison you, and some poison you, and when you take enough of them, as they say, as uh, Sherry Rogers says, you get sicker quicker that poisons the mitochondria, and you don't produce good energy, and you have a host of health problems. So... Um, that's why it's important to go to a physician like Dr. Sinatra who listens to the patient and when the patient's and he's got enough experience to know like one shoe doesn't fit everybody here. Some people may be able to take this drug for a particular reason for a short period of time in small doses. Some people may need more. Some people don't need it at all. There are other, there are other ways that we can help you maintain good health, uh, good cardiovascular health. And that's what I want to get to. And you mentioned that uh, in your experience, uh, you came to the conclusion that although uh, a certain form of cholesterol, lipoprotein A, which is a lipid, which is the cholesterol protein molecule, may play a role in cardiovascular disease, the major problem and the cause of cardiovascular disease is inflammation. So Correct. let's talk about that. And um, are, are, do you know Derek, Dr. De Silva, by any chance? Oh, of course, yeah. Okay. He's coming in town. He'll be in town day after tomorrow. He's coming in, and uh, we're having a big seminar here in my office, and we're going to talk about the glycocalyx. Have you heard his lectures on that? Yes. Well, I've heard him mention it in the yeah. past, yeah. Well, anyway, that's fascinating. I heard I heard uh, at an AA4M meeting about uh, in Las Vegas about two or three years ago, he gave a talk on the glycocalyx. Doc, I'd never heard of the glycocalyx before in my entire career. And I don't know how many other, maybe I'm, I just, they didn't teach me that in med school and I'd never read about it. And when I, when I uh, heard his talk, it made complete sense to me and started doing research on it, dive on it. I don't know why I'm, am, am I wrong to think that most doctors don't know about the glycocalyx and the importance that is to cardiovascular health, and that's where inflammation takes place? Well, see, that's the important thing. I mean, a lot of doctors, um, even doctors who go out into private practice, they need to educate themselves continuously. I mean, once you become a doctor, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you have the raw materials to go forward, but your patients, like I said before, are your best teachers, and you got to update yourself all the time and go to conferences. You, you must go to conferences because when you go to a conference, you're getting cutting-edge, leading-edge information. If you read it in a, in a journal, it might be six months to a year old. If you read it in a textbook, like, like right now, I'm, I'm editing a textbook of cardiology. It's going to come out in 2022. 
but the references are going to only going to be 2020, 2021. So a textbook is about a year or two years behind, you know, the time. So in this in this uh, com- computer age we live in, um, you know, you must keep up to date, and, and that's the most important thing about a physician is, especially if they're treating patients on a day to day basis, is you must keep up with the contemporary literature and really the zeitgeist of the times about what works, what doesn't work, and and stuff like that. Well, so let's talk about. Um, in conclusion, let's talk about the inflammation. What causes the inflammation in the coronary arteries that leads to the laying down of the so-called bandage of cholesterol, the lipoprotein that's laid down to patch and bandage the arteries to heal them, which, of course, leads to the absorption of calcium, which hardens the arteries, which gives us atherosclerosis or hardening of the arteries, or as that means in, uh, in Greek, the hardening of the porridge. And so as we lay down that cholesterol, if you think about it, I'm talking to the listening audience, obviously, Doc, you understand this. What happens is when you get this inflammation, your body doesn't want inflammation. You get, you de- your arteries are deteriorating. Well, if they deteriorate enough, you're going to blow an artery and you're going to die. So the body can't tolerate that. It has a backup mechanism. If you're not making enough collagen to heal your arteries because you're not getting enough vitamin C, you've got to, your body's going to lay down cholesterol like a Band-Aid, a lipoprotein. Cholesterol protein molecules are going to lay down to patch the artery, and they're going to absorb calcium, and that hardens the arteries. If you think about it, it makes sense because you don't want your arteries to deteriorate, so the body's making them rigid. The problem is the more inflammation, the more rigidity, and the narrower the tube, and you flick off a plaque, and boom, you got a heart attack because you blocked the downstream flow of the blood, and there's your problem. So, so heart disease is caused by inflammation in your arteries, and it settles in the coronary arteries primarily because your heart is beating 70 times a minute, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all your entire life, and that's putting a lot of pressure, stretching and crushing of these arteries. And if they're inflamed, uh, then they're going to deteriorate and the body's going to want to heal them up. And you end up developing the hardening of the arteries, trying to maintain stability in the arteries, which ultimately leads to problems with poor circulation in the heart. And, and, the, uh, and ultimately, uh, you can develop a heart attack when you flick off a plaque upstream and it goes downstream to a narrowing and it plugs. So what causes the inflammation? Where, what, do people need to, what do people need to do to prevent inflammation in their body that leads to coronary artery uh, inflammation and disease? Well, that was really well said, Steve. I mean, uh, you, you did a great job in describing inflammation. And really, the w- number one factor that causes inflammation in our bodies is sugar. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, when, when you and I were in medical school, um, we were taught that the average blood sugar, fasting blood sugar, was 100, uh, you know, milligrams percent, so to speak. Uh, so if, if, if our patients had a fasting blood sugar of 95 and 98, we said, oh, that's great. Now, about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the, uh, the, the, the societies lowered it to 90 milligrams percent. And then in the last few years, now it's been lowered to 70 milligrams percent. In other words, a fasting blood sugar less than 70 is considered ideal. From 70 to 90 is perhaps suitable. Over 90 is 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 really um, inflammatory. Now, 
This country in the USA has over 100 million diabetics. In other words, when I, when I talk about diabetes, um, and by the way, I came from a family of diabetics. My grandmother and my mother both uh, uh, became blind from diabetes, and it, it runs in my family. You know, it's, a lot of it is genetically inherited, as you know. But basically, in our country today, there's three, we have 3.4 million people, and basically about one in every 3.4 people is diabetic. We have almost 100 million either insulin-dependent diabetes or type 2 diabetics uh, or whatever. And the problem with that is that diabetes sets up the stage of endothelial cell dysfunction. It's, it's an it's a inflammatory disorder. I remember when I was in medical school, our professors used to tell us that you know, a typical diabetic may not, you know, live to an, uh, a ripe old age, and a lot of diabetics may lose 10 to 15 years in their lifespan because of the problem. And uh, the problem that we have today is we have so many um, pre-diabetics and insulin-dependent diabetics and type 2 diabetics and overweight people in our society that I worry about, you know, the younger generation outliving the older generation. So basically, what has occurred in our society? Well, we became sugar oriented. We eat tons and tons of sugar. You know, you know, many of us put you know white table sugar in our coffee and tea. We eat a lot of carbohydrates. We eat a lot of breads. We eat a lot of regular semolina pastas. We eat sweets and donuts and candies, and the list goes on and on and on. So the secret is the secret is instead of having a high carbohydrate diet that a lot of doctors used to preach, you know, even 10, 15, 20 years ago, these high carbohydrate diets, which are really evil in disguise, what people need to do is eat a higher protein diet and a higher fat diet. So I've always preached that less carbohydrates produce less blood sugar, less blood sugar, you get less of an insulin response because we know that insulin is a pro-inflammatory hormone. So the less insulin you secrete, the better your body is adapted to the aging uh, response. So when it comes to diet, I'm all in on higher protein, higher fat, less carbohydrate. And now look, if a person wants to have a little ice cream, that's fine. If they want a little dark chocolate, you know, greater than 70% dark, that's fine with me. I mean, in other words, people need to have a little sweets once in a while, but you cannot base your, your most of your diet on carbohydrates because over time, uh, I strongly believe that will make you sick. Well, and it's it, it's been shown that, and it's amazing how the diabetic society still has uh, has the has the food pyramid completely upside down. Exactly. You know where they're boy, high, eat eat a lot of grains. Remember, folks, sugar molecules are what make up starch. Starches are what you find in all grain products: wheat, corn, and in your potatoes and rice. These are starches. Starches are sugar molecules that are hitched together. You put them in your mouth, immediately your enzymes in your mouth, amylase enzymes, and all the way down into your stomach begin to dissolve, and the sugar molecules are broken free. So if you eat a high, simple carbohydrate diet, you're literally feeding yourself sugar all day long. And that is a pro, it's, it's inflammatory, and it's inflammatory because it's the body to secrete insulin, which drives the uh, drives the sugar into the cells and the insulin is pro-inflammatory it causes inflammation it causes inflammation in your coronary arteries so dr uh, sinatra recommends eat a lot of protein eat up eat a higher fat diet and we're not talking about bad fats and alls we're talking about uh, fish oil is good whole butter is good olive oil is good 
And with a name like Sinatra, I'm sure you use a lot of olive oil. Yes, and, sir. <laughs> and, uh, and we always use, uh, what is it, uh, uh, a triple, uh, it's always uh, triple virgin olive oil. I don't know how, you know, extra it's virgin. like double, extra, virgin extra olive oil. I don't know, I don't know how you get, you're either virgin, that. you're either a virgin or not. You, can you imagine right. somebody go, I'm an extra virgin. But, <laughs> you know, you know, one thing about EVOO, extra virgin olive oil, capital EVOO, if you look at the Mediterranean basin, uh, and whether you come from Spain or Italy or Greece or Israel or Libya, or Turkey, it doesn't matter. There is more. There are more hundred year old plus people living in the world in the Mediterranean basin. Uh, and, and there's something that is, you know, native to that basin. And I think the secret sauce of the Mediterranean basin is extra virgin olive oil. Right. Uh, because what does olive oil do? It does everything right. I mean, it changes the cholesterol relationships. You know, it has an impact on small particle LDL. It it uh, it, it 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 makes fluffier HDL. It reduces triglycerides. It's it's non-inflammatory. In fact, the, the essence of olive oil is incredible. They did this study in Spain about 10 years ago. It was reported in the, in the genetic literature. But olive oil takes pro-inflammatory genes that we all possess. You know, when we're all born, we have non-inflammatory genes, pro-inflammatory genes, et cetera, et cetera. But what olive oil does, it takes pro-inflammatory genes and it turns them back to a non-inflammatory state. Now that's awesome. When I read that article in genomics about 10 years ago, I had this epiphany uh, that's, uh, this, that really penetrated my brain stating that, you know what, we need to take in more olive oil. And then the pre-demed study came out and Dr. Gonzalez and others from Spain realized that if you took four tablespoons of olive oil a day, not only did you reduce diabetes and heart disease and neurodegenerative disease, you had a reduction in Alzheimer's and cancer as well. So there's something special about the anti-aging characteristics of olive oil. And, and, and I think this is one type of uh, you know, substance that all, all Americans should strongly consider uh, by putting into their diet on a daily basis. Absolutely. Uh, well said, and it's true. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I talked to you earlier before we were on the program about Dr. Gundy, the uh, cardiova pediatric cardiovascular surgeon, and his health center that he has. I think it's out in – he has one in Phoenix and one in California somewhere. But he said that he was uh, – you know, when he had 50, he was overweight. He felt terrible, and he, he looked terrible. And, and, he, he, and he came up – he started doing something. He started taking olive oil every day two or three tablespoons a day, and that, and that in itself began to give him good health, and he felt better and was able to lose weight. So uh, I'm a big proponent of olive oil. Every day I have a salad. Look, folks, I, I, I believe in eating a keto-friendly eating program, and so what that really means is that we eat healthy oils and fats, and that would include olive oil. So I have a good salad. I, every day I have a chopped salad. It's the same every day, day in and day out. Chopped spinach, chopped broccoli, chopped pecans, throw a couple of raspberries on top of it, and then pour olive oil on it and balsamic vinegar. I eat that every day, day in and day out. As a matter of fact, my green drink in the morning is made with spinach. That's what I have. And uh, so anyway, and then I, a little bit of beef. I can't eat more than, I can't hardly hold more than four ounces. That's about all I can hold. And uh, I, I, I need to do better with staying off uh, – uh, 
desserts. I do like to get a couple or three bites out of a dessert. I don't need a whole platter full, but I do have a sweet tooth. But eat that way, and you cut out your carbs. You don't eat cereal for breakfast every morning, and you don't have pancakes, and you don't have waffles, and you don't eat you know half a loaf of bread at dinner. All those things are going to convert to sugar. Sugar in, in, inevitably converts to adipose tissue, better known as fat, and you're going to gain weight. And then when you're overweight like that, you got insulin resistance, and you got a high insulin level, and you get all the pro-inflammatory uh, situation set up in your body. So now you're getting coronary artery disease and inflammatory cardiovascular disease in your carotid arteries in your neck and in your brain and all over your body. And it just is in the kidneys. And one thing leads to another, it'll deteriorate your health. So the most important thing you can do long-term for your health, which we, you can take away from this, the most important thing for good health is have a good healthy eating program. It all starts with what you put in your mouth. Let food be your medicine. Let medicine be your food. That's what Hippocrates said. He was the father of medicine. It's the same today. And that's what you need to do is eat a healthy eating program, and most Americans don't. The other thing, too, doctor, and uh, we'll have to bring it up uh, in the next session, we may talk about the uh, the relationship of thyroid and metabolism uh, in the, in the governing your metabolism and to the relationship with fluoride and how it adversely affects the uh, deiodination of, of uh, T4 to T3 in the cells, which adversely affects me- metabolic rates, which can lead to uh, a slower metabolism and an increased weight in people. So we may talk about that at a future time. I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Sinatra. This has been a very, very instructive, insightful, educational program for me. It's always good to hear and focus on the basics. So your takeaway from this, folks, is one, heart disease is not primarily caused by cholesterol, contrary to what every pharmaceutical ad on the, uh, you see on TV or read in a newspaper or in a magazine. It's first and foremost caused by inflammation. Inflammation is caused first and foremost by your eating habits. So if you want to cut down on heart disease, it's not the genes you inherited from your parents that are giving you your heart disease and most people. It's the, it's the eating habits that you uh, inherited from your parents that are causing you your problems. So if you got up and your mom and dad are bringing you donuts every morning for breakfast and you do that as you grow up and you give that to your kids, you form some bad habits because those convert to sugar and sugar can... Sugar, of course, leads to inflammatory response, which leads to the coronary artery disease. So eat healthy, first and foremost. The second thing you want to make sure you do is take good supplementation, vitamin and mineral supplementation, and we can talk more about that in a later program. But one thing, key takeaway on this is you want to be sure to take coenzyme Q10 is very, very important. L-carnitine is very important. D-ribose is very important. Magnesium are very important. And we'll talk about that what what supplements you'd recommend, doctor, in our next program. Thank you for joining us today on The Wellness Revolution with Dr. Stephen Sinatra. Here, Steve. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. God bless you.
information provided on this radio program is neither intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice and is not intended to replace the services of a physician, nor does it constitute a doctor-patient relationship. You should not use information from this radio program to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without consulting with a qualified health care provider. If you have or suspect you have an urgent medical problem, promptly contact a professional health care provider or call 911. Dr. Hotze's Wellness Revolution radio program advises you to always seek the advice of a physician or other qualified health provider prior to starting any new treatment or with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Any application of the recommendations from this radio program is at the listener's discretion.